0: You're listening to Building Bold Connections, a podcast where we explore the creative ways business leaders have solved professional challenges to gain success and build net worth from their network. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of hearing from Michael Coles, founder and former CEO of Great American Cookie Company, former CEO of Caribou Coffee, and namesake of Kennesaw State University's Coles College of Business.
1: Welcome to Building Bold Connections. I'm your host, Tyra Burton. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of hearing from Michael Coles, founder and former CEO of Great American Cookie, former CEO of Caribou Coffee, and the namesake of Kennesaw State University's Coles College of Business. Welcome, Michael.
0: It's nice to be here.
1: I'm so thankful that you can be here to talk about your experience because you have had so many impact on different industries. So let's start off with the cookies. Um, after, what was, got you interested in the cookie business?
0: Well, you know, it's uh, it was almost serendipitous because I I was in the clothing business and saw a cookie store uh, in California at a clothing show, and I had made a decision on my way to California for the show uh, that I was going to get out of the I was going to get out of the, the manufacturing and of the clothing business and do something else because the business was moving to Asia. I had three young kids. And I was traveling, you know, three days a week. And once the industry moved to Asia, it was going to be three weeks a month. And uh, I just wanted to find something else to do. So I saw a cookie store uh, in California. And I came back and my wife met me at the airport. And I said, I'm going to sell my interest in my clothing company, which, by the way, was named the Great American Clothing (laughs) Company. I
1: see
0: a trend. (laughs) It is a trend. And uh, I said, I don't know what we're going to do going forward, but while we're trying to figure it out, let's open a cookie store. And I honestly, at the time, it was going to be one store, maybe have a little income from it, uh, trying to figure out uh, what we would do next. And the truth is, as a lot of students and people know, six weeks after we started the company, I had a motorcycle accident that left me with doctors saying I might never walk again unaided. And the truth is, all the other opportunities I might have had just were taken away from me. And I had a focus uh, on the cookie business. And the rest, they say, is cookie history.
1: It is. I like the fact that um, kind of trying to spend more time with your family was important in starting the cookie business as well. So can you speak about work-life balance and how you've done that throughout your career?
0: Well, you know, actually, I talk about this a little bit in my book. My first marriage was unsuccessful, um, and I wound up, you know, getting divorced. And I decided, just like something goes wrong in business, you're going to make mistakes, but try to not make the same mistakes. And so I had to look really hard at what my responsibility was in that marriage ending. And I just decided that I I would make other mistakes in my new marriage, but I wasn't going to make the same (laughs) mistakes. And I knew one of them was spending more time. With my family. And so uh, it was an easy thing for me to balance because anything I did from that point on, the first thought I had is, how does this affect my family? And if it affected my family in a negative way, I just didn't do it.
1: I think that's wonderful. And you just celebrated, I think, 45 years? 50th. 50th.
0: If we just celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Well, I right? think you figured out how to be successful at it. It's uh, not easy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, nothing is. I mean, you obviously. That's,
0: yeah, it's just compromise. You know. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, you've obviously figured out how to build a great team with your wife. How do you build a great team in business?
0: Well, you know, um, I started working when I was really young. I mean, I started working literally full time when I was 13, still going to school. That's That's uh, very young. And by the time I was 30, because I had started working so young, I really thought I. I knew all the answers. And the truth is at 30, I did know all the answers. But the problem was I didn't know all the questions. Ah. And so um, it took me a while to figure out that I didn't have to be the smartest person in the room and that uh, I could hire really smart people and lead them. And at the end of the day, if we were successful, um, it would make me look pretty smart. And I think it's about leadership. I mean, it's about knowing what you don't know. And I think it's about hiring really good people and then let them do their jobs and let them make mistakes and just teach them not to make the same mistakes.
1: Absolutely. So at Caribou, you walked into a situation where you already had a team that was in place. And I think most of them ended up staying. How did you do that to kind of transfer them into your, your vision?
0: Well, you know, um, Caribou was an interesting place because it was the first time, uh, really, that I had done anything in my adult career where I hadn't hired the people and kind of laid out the vision of the company. And Caribou had not been doing well for several years. And I thought walking in that I would be greeted and carried around on everybody's shoulders as this, you know, knight in armor that was going to save the company. But it couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more wrong. You know, I was. Uh, they they were very um, they were very uh, attached to the culture of the business and they thought this guy that came in in a three piece suit, which I wore oh, deli- which I wore deliberately because I didn't want to be seen as one of them. Right. I really wanted to come in and understand. This, we're going to do something new and different, and so I lo- I loosened that later on. But in the beginning, when I walked in, I mean they were very standoffish, and uh, I had thought for few months about what I would say as an opening remark, I had plenty of time to think about it, and yet when I made my opening remark, I blew it. I, I My opening remark was, I've been to over 50 caribou coffees, and I've yet to have a good experience. Now, what I meant to say was... Oh, my. Yeah. What I meant to say was, and, and, and the moment I said it, I saw all the mm-hmm. eyes around the table basically dismiss me at that point. Right. What I meant to say was, I've been to over 50 caribou coffees. And while I've had a good experience at some of them, in some day part, it wasn't consistent. And if we can build that great consistency that I felt, if that great experience that I felt in the beginning, and we can do that consistently, we can be a great company. Not just a good company, but a great company. But that's not what I said. (laughs) And so, for the next few weeks, I had to rebuild relationships with everybody in the business. And one of the things I'm really proud of at Caribou, we took that company that had had negative same-store sales for almost three years. And for the next two and a half years, we ran double-digit same-store sale increase, took the company public two and a half years after I got there uh, on NASDAQ and basically built the success with the same team with the accession of maybe two people.
1: That's amazing, because usually when somebody comes in, there's a huge changeover. So yeah. that really talks about how well you build teams.
0: Well, I think it had more to do with the fact that this, they already were a good team. And <laughs> I just let the genie out of the bottle. I let, the, I let them do their job. And so, you know, it worked out really well.
1: I, I think a theme throughout <clears throat> all your businesses has been this idea of customer experience. And particularly at Caribou, I think that came through. How, do you, how would you approach building customer experience today with all the changes in uh, the business world?
0: Well, I think one thing people have to realize uh, that the power of the purchase, which, it, which at one time was was in the hands of the seller, is now in the hands of the buyer. Nobody buys a car today without going online and figuring out how much it should really cost. There are so many things today that are so different in the way people buy things. And I think that companies have to recognize the fact that people are on all the time. That thing that they're holding in their hand <laughs> that can make or break a business is okay. there constantly and that you have to work really hard to, to earn a customer's return to your business. And I, my son, who actually is in the alliance business for uh, Fortune 100 companies, told me over the weekend, I didn't even know this, but over the weekend he told me the companies today are now hiring people. There's a new title, and it's uh, the the title varies, but it's basically strategic customer relations officer because people have finally realized that you have to focus on customer experience because customers don't, in most cases, they don't have a contract to come back. And you've got to give them a reason to want to come back. And nowhere did I have to show that more than a Caribou because we were up against, at that time, Starbucks, 7,800 yep. stores. We had 170 stores. And my team had to understand that that the only thing that matters to a customer is not that Starbucks had 7,800 locations, is that they had a location near a Caribou. And if we get them to come to Caribou, how do we get them not to go back to Starbucks? Right. So that's it.
1: It's so much easier to keep a customer than it
0: is to earn and it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, to keep one than, than it is to go get a new one.
1: All right. And I think I think you talked very well about the fact that um, the integration of our phones into that customer experience that it's now that in person as well as what's happening digitally. Absolutely. <clears throat> that we keep moving forward. You actually had the idea for the portable office. With food. I was just amazed at this before you took over Caribou. You talk about it in your book where you would have food and coffee as well as a place where people could come and work. And I thought that was just amazingly innovative.
0: Yeah, it was going to be called Perks, P-E-R-Q-S, And uh, yeah, the idea was that it would be an office. It's kind of what WeWorks became. And uh, I'm glad I didn't do it, as it turned out, (laughs) because there were a lot of people that had a much better idea than I did. But yeah, it was early on. I mean, this is a long time ago before WeWorks or a lot of the places now that rent out office space. Yeah, it was going to be a like a coffee shop on steroids, but creating a real business office and actually have offices that people could rent by the day or by the hour or however much they needed it. We did a little bit of that at Caribou. We built some stores that had uh, family rooms or uh, party rooms in them, and uh, I've I would say that if I had the cookie company today, it would be built on a format of having, you know, big party rooms for people to celebrate birthdays and places like that. I think companies just have to continually innovate and understand that they have to understand how their customers use their product. Yes. You know, and what, what, what things can you add to that experience that might make them make you more meaningful to them?
1: And make it easier. I mean, it's so much easier to go have a birthday party at a cookie place than it is to set it up in your home. So I think that connection to the customer that you stress is so important. Um, Because of cycling and all the other sports you're involved with, you've made many connections with athletes. Do you think there's something about the athlete mindset and the entrepreneurial mindset that goes together?
0: Well, there's no doubt for me, for sure. I was never an athlete. I mean, is, I mean I I I did the I did the non-traditional stuff as a kid. You know, I lifted weights, you know, and I got into karate, of course karate now. Tournaments and stuff like that. I mean, I did all that, but I would never have considered myself an athlete. I still don't to this day, Which even just though amazes I've ridden me. across the country four times on a bike. That just shows tenacity. <laughs> that doesn't show athletic ability.
1: I think it's a bit uh, of both.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, I do think there is the same mindset because, if especially if you're in competitive sports, you have to have people around you that believe in what you're doing. As, and in sports, especially the, some of the stuff I did in long-distance cycling, I sometimes look back at it, and how did I get these people to not sleep at night, leave their families for all that time, and knowing that if I broke a record, I was going to get the credit, and they were just going to get an experience to have helped me do it. But I think it's um, it was being honest with people and, and having... She showed them how difficult stuff was and how much you needed them and made them feel important. I think it's very much the same as in business. If people just feel like they're punching a clock every day, and there's no connection to whether the company succeeds or fails, you're not going to get the best out of those people. I think people, every survey that we did, in all the years I was in business, that when you ask people what was the most important thing to them, it was, it was always communication. It was always about understanding what the company was doing and how decisions affected them as well. And so they could feel that they were a part of something.
1: So to me, that's about communicating vision and values. How have you done that?
0: By honesty and openness and, uh, you know, walking into a, a coffee shop and seeing a couch that had a spill on it and walking in the back room and getting a rag and wiping it off myself without saying anything to anyone. But seeing what I did lets people know that this is, really important because it is about taking care of customers and if the CEO of the company is willing to walk in and wipe wipe off the chair right. then shouldn't we it must mean something and i it's not just that but i mean i had you know i'll tell you one of uh one of the great experiences i had was with joe rogers from uh, the waffle house And he was the first time, Joe and I have known each other a long time, and he used the term servant leadership, which, of course, is very common today. But when he said it, I had never heard the term before. But I think servant leadership is really so important, is the fact that anything in a a company, I don't care what your position is, you should not be above Mm -hmm. the most menial parts of what a company does. And it's, because all of it's important. And I think that, uh, I think some of that got lost for a long time in American business. I think it's coming back, and it's coming back in a really strong way because people are beginning to understand the value of experience for customers and how important it is for everybody on the team to believe in that.
1: Well, I think you also believe in making sure you know all of the business. Right. So that you have experienced you know, what it means to serve a cup of coffee.
0: And you don't have to be an expert in every one of those areas either. You know, you hire people that are experts and you can learn from each other.
1: Absolutely. Um, So you have, how should business leaders today apply your wonderful mantra of time to get tough while working in their prospective fields?
0: Well, you know, time to get tough for me was, uh, you know, an expression expression that came out of uh, a a bicycle accident I had on my second attempt to get across the country. And uh, I broke my collarbone, and so I was trying to train for a third crossing, and I was so painful that I literally, I was on the bike for like an hour uh, on a trainer. And every pedal stroke just hurt so bad. And I remember saying to myself, "I said I've got to get tough. I got to get tough. I got to get. It's time to get tough. You got to get tough." <laughs> and when I got off the bike, I just decided that was a real. It got me through it. Right. And I decided, well, that's a great mantra. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that theme of time to get tough. Well, it's a long expression, yeah. so I just turned it into TTGT, <laughs> and I put it everywhere on my bike, on my refrigerator, in my closet, on the bathroom, everywhere because I had a lot of recovery to do. And I think that um I think that's the thing in business too is that you if you have a team of people around you and things are not going exactly the way they should, the fact of the matter is if everybody believes it it is time to get tough and it's not time to walk away, it's time to walk in
1: and really capitalize on those extension of values and people knowing their jobs
0: it you know the thing is is that the way to endear yourself to the people that are part of your team is you you try to do it during the good times so when the bad times hit they're still with you yeah
1: i i think that's absolutely true So one thing I was surprised at, which I think fits very well with the building that we're recording in, this is the uh, Meebus building at Kennesaw State University, where our music and entertainment business program is. You say that one of your biggest but least known successes is the impact you had on the Georgia film and entertainment industry. What bold ideas and connections made that possible? Because you really helped change the landscape for us here in Georgia.
0: Well, so in uh, 1998... Uh, after I lost my U.S. Senate race and my friend Roy Barnes became governor, Roy called me and said, look, I'd love to have your help in my administration. He said, what would you like to do? And I said, you know, Roy, um, Georgia used to be one of the great places for people to make films when Burt Reynolds was around and some of the great movies uh, that we've seen came out of Georgia, but, but it seems like it's all disappeared. And I said, is there still a film commission? And he said... There is. I said, do they have a board? He said, I don't think they're active anymore. And Georgia at that time, we weren't even on the map any longer. The only thing that was being made in Georgia were civil rights movies or something that might be specific uh, to Georgia. And even some of those things were not being made in Georgia. And so I asked him if I could become the head of the film commission and put together a board. And what I did is I put together a 40 person board and every single person that was on that board brought a skill set that had something to do, even if it was a little bit obscure to the movie industry. I then spent the next six to nine months traveling around Georgia and traveling all over the country, meeting with producers, directors, writers, trying to understand. I went to other places that were doing really well in the film business and try to figure out what they were doing. And then we put an ideation meeting together after about nine months with the whole team trying to figure out what, what are the next steps to rebuild this industry. And we took that plan. We got the first tax incentive right. passed. Uh, And I think my second year of running the commission and that began to change everything. We went from 180 million in economic impact, most of it, which was music, which is how I got to know Joel and uh, most of which was music. And when I left uh, four years later, well, two years later we're a billion and a half in economic impact. And today George is 13 billion and the number one full feature motion picture Uh, production place in the world and uh yeah i'm very proud of that
1: well you should be i think the impact that it's had on the georgia economy just cannot be underestimated so you wrote great leaders know what they don't know what do you still have to learn
0: well um i don't know because (laughs) i don't know so uh i would just say this that um when I'm involved in something and you know uh, I get involved with a lot of nonprofit things I advise yeah. a couple three different companies um, I kn- here's what I here's what I know now that I didn't know okay. I know now that when I'm asked a question, I don't immediately give an answer if I'm not sure of it because I want to know all the facts i as a young guy, I used to make a lot of impulsive decisions and every time I did it really? it was wrong every single time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i and i and i it was like a punching bag i mean i just kept doing the same thing not realizing that maybe i should think differently about my answer and so now you ask me a question like that i can't give you that answer because i'm not in a situation to know what i don't know all the stuff i'm doing right now i think i know but you put me in some other situation and i'm sure i'll figure out that I don't really have the answer to that. I'm going to go find somebody who does, someone that's an expert, someone that can make me look smart and make sure that I don't make a mistake, because they've already been through the war and I haven't.
1: I think that that idea of wisdom and what you can bring with wisdom uh, to people and to things and your ability to research. I love the fact that you always dive hard and find out what's out there. So we're about at the end, but I wanted to ask you one final question. Um, when you were first starting out, you were on a flight back to Detroit. You talk about it in your book. And you asked the passenger sitting next to you, what advice would you give to a young guy like me starting out in the business world? So what advice would you give a young person sitting next to you that asked you this question today?
0: So I, I'm going to tell that story real quick. Oh, please I, was, it's beautiful. I, had, uh, I was 22 years old. I just won a big sales contest for my company. And my company flew me back. I lived in Grand Rapids, but I had to go through Detroit, Detroit. to get back. And uh, they put they flew me back first class. And I'd never been on a first class flight before. And I was sitting next to a guy who today would be on a private plane, I'm right. sure. But there were no private planes back then. And he was wearing a Rolex watch, which I had never seen one up close ever before. And um, he was more interested in how a 12-year-old, because that's how old I looked, <laughs> How a 12-year-old, what would I was doing flying first class? And uh, so I never got to ask him any questions as we were about to land. Ah, That's when I asked him. I said, what advice would you give a young guy? And it's the same advice I give people today because it's never changed. He said to me without hesitation, he said, take risks as young as you possibly can because the older you get, the more complicated your life's going to get. And taking risks just becomes harder. He said, when you're young, you got plenty of time to recover if you make a mistake. And that would be the advice I would give folks. But, you know, young is a lot different today than it used it's to be. True. You know, people are starting businesses at 50, 60, 70 years old and taking life experiences to do it. And But again, I would say that it's all about... Uh, doing it when risk does not seem as risky and do it as young as you possibly can be.
1: Well, I love that. And I hope that everybody has enjoyed our time with Michael Coles. I know that I appreciate the impact that you've had on the college, that I'm a part of our music and business institutes here, as well as just the beautiful businesses you've built. Thank you so much, Michael.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Building Bold Connections. This has been a Coles College and Joel A. Katz Music and Entertainment Business Program production.